God is so good, is he not? He's so good. You know, God is preparing spaces for us everywhere. I, I, as we were singing that song this morning, making room, you know, he has done everything that he can to prepare a place for you and I. And it's not just for someday. He's actually, he, he actually is pursuing right now, today. He cares about who you are. He cares about where you are. And he has a plan and a purpose for where you're heading. And I, I, I really feel like it comes down to, I, I feel like if there was a banner over, over my life, it would be the power of choice. Because we tend to think that Choice is a secondary thing, but choice is everything when it comes to God. You make the choice, I make the choice to make room for him or not. All right, getting into the word today, we are halfway through our gate check series. And we're actually, because this is gate five of 10 out of Nehemiah, right? If you go to your Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah is all about the rebuilding of a wall around Jerusalem and then the rehanging and the building of the gates. And so for those of you who are doing the hard and you're addressing each gate, I have a little story of encouragement for you. It goes like this. One evening while a man was driving down a country road, he lost control of his car and he wound up in a ditch. He walked to the closest farmhouse and asked for help pulling the car out. This must have been a while back. Um, <clears throat> the farmer said, sure, let me hitch up Dusty and you'll be out in no time. A few minutes later, the farmer appeared with Dusty, an old sway-backed, almost blind mule. After Dusty was hitched to the car, the old farmer cracked the whip and said, pull, Buck, pull. Nothing happened. The stranger looked around for a mule named Buck. Now, there weren't any other mules. There's only Dusty, who wasn't moving. The farmer cracked that whip again and said, Pull, Clyde, pull! The stranger took another look, but there was still only one mule hitched to this car, and that mule's name wasn't Clyde. Nothing had happened. So the farmer cracked that whip one more time and said, Pull, Dusty, pull! Dusty began to pull until finally the car was out of the ditch. The man thanked the farmer, and then he said, but, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. If your mule's name is Dusty, why did you say pull Buck and pull Clyde? It just didn't make any sense. The farmer said, well, you know Dusty's old, and he doesn't see too good, and he doesn't have much confidence. Why, if he thought he had to do all that work by himself, he'd never even try. I just want you to be encouraged, whether you've been working on these gates up till now or, or today is the day. Would you just be encouraged? You are not alone. God wants this more for you than you even want it for yourself. All it takes is a simple yes. And God is good enough to take you to the end. So here we are jumping into Nehemiah's gates once again. And um, you know, the, the, the account behind this is that Nehemiah worked for the king of Babylon and he was the cupbearer. And I, I was reading over this again this week and it occurred to me this really interesting thing. It doesn't say that Nehemiah was called to go to Jerusalem and repair the wall. It says he, he took it upon himself. 
he, he, he took responsibility for actually what wasn't his responsibility and God blessed it. So I'm just saying, just maybe, that God may not be calling you to do certain things, but if you have it on your heart, do it because he will go with you. And so through this, we're, we've walked all the way around and we're now on the last five gates, as I said before, and these last five are interesting. They're different from the first five. The first five involve you and I and action on our part. But this, this second half, they're all about the character and nature of God. So starting with the fountain gate, we read in Nehemiah 3.15. Oh, and by the way, just so you remember, you and I each are cities, right, within ourselves. And cities should have walls because walls protect, right? But a walled city without gates is a dead city. You cannot get food, you cannot get supplies, you can't get support if you have no gates. And so Holy Spirit is calling us now to do a perimeter check and say, hey, which gates need to be repaired? Which gates need to be opened? Which gates need to be closed? So now we're on the right page, right? We're on the same page. Nehemiah 3.15 says this, Shalom, the son of Kol Hose, the, uh, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. So here we are at this particular section of the, of the wall with this gate, and it's called the fountain gate. It's referred to that in, as that in scripture, and its name is derived from an actual spring called the Gahan Spring. And I'm just gonna give you a little bit of facts about this. So. Uh, just hang with me, because you know there are a lot of people who think that what's written in the Bible isn't archaeologically sound. It is. In fact, this this particular gate is very interesting because, well, we'll get there. Now, in Hebrew, the word Gahan means um, gushing, and that's what a spring does. This particular spring gushes. Uh, not, not regularly, but it, it, it's periodically, and it's, it differs as the seasons change. But, but that's where the name Fountain Gate came from, was this uh, spring of Gahan. Um, let, me, let me get back to my notes here. It says, uh, man's use of the Gahan spring can be tracked back to the Canaanites, okay? This was the mid-Bronze Age. That's 5,000 years ago, okay? The Canaanites who lived in the land before Israel did, they diverted the flow of water from this spring through channels that were dug 20 feet deep in the, in the rock and in the earth. And then they covered that channel with slabs of stone so that the water would flow into the southern end of the city of David or Jerusalem and it would collect in this upper pool called the, the Pool of Siloam. And actually, that's how David conquered the city of Jerusalem and took it for his own. He, he got into that stream bed in that 20-foot ditch, and he followed it into the city, and that's how he ended up taking the city. Okay? Now, it's, this is so interesting. In the book of Chronicles, we learn that during the reign of King Hezekiah, who was after David by several years, um, came to a point where the city was threatened by the king of Assyria and Hezekiah prepared for a possible attack and he reinforced the city. And one of the things that he did was he redirected the spring 
of Gahan from that 20-foot semi-surface level channel to an underground tunnel known as the Siloam Tunnel or Hezekiah's Tunnel. And this underground channel brought water to the newly constructed Siloam Pool where it would collect and that made it possible for the residents of Jer Jerusalem to dwell in safety. They didn't have to collect water. They didn't have to leave the city and be uh, vulnerable to attack. Um, so the, the Gahan Spring was that main source of water for the city. Now, this is really important because we're fixing to take a prophetic bend here in just a minute. So hang on to these little factoids uh, because as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. Um, and that city, even today, Jerusalem, the, the Gahan Springs still exists. Now, it's not, it doesn't produce enough water for them to draw from it as their main water source. They actually convert water from the Sea of Galilee for, as their main water source. But this one is still in existence, and it, it has made the settlement of Jerusalem possible for millennia. Take a look at this video. There are moments in life when you have to decide which path you take. The entrance to Hezekiah's tunnel is one of these moments. Here at our feet flows the Gihon Spring, the main source of water for the city of David. From here, the water flows through the heart of the rock to the Siloam pool. Today, you can choose between three different routes to get there. The dry Canaanite tunnel, which was recently opened to the public, that's the Canaanite tunnel. Walkway above the ground, or this, a 533-meter walk inside the tunnel, carved in the heart of the rock, wading through the Cold War. In my opinion, this is one of the most exciting experiences in all of Jerusalem. This tunnel was created by King Hezekiah about 2,700 years ago as part of the preparations for the Assyrian siege. And to this day, it still conceals many secrets. In 1880, two youngsters were trudging through the water when suddenly one of them felt strange carvings on the wall. They brought a torch and discovered a rare Hebrew inscription dating Hezekiah's period that begins as follows. The tunnel was carved through and this was the way it was cut. We are out of the tunnel, and here we are in the Siloam Pool. In ancient times, this pool looked completely different. Today, we have only just started uncovering the pool that existed here in the first temple period. But in 2005, impressive parts of the second temple period Siloam Pool were accidentally discovered. The city of David never ceases to surprise us. I, I wanted you to see that because I wanted you to know, because I love the Bible. Oh, my word. I love the word, which is actually going to be discussed next week. Um, I love the Bible. The Bible is so multifaceted. And I believe that if it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. And the fact that this, this particular gate still survives today, and they continue to uncover points of it, there's a significance to it. So the question is, what is the function of the fountain gate in your wall? All right? 
Well, here are three things we're gonna discuss. Three things that we can learn from the fountain gate. Some of them are gonna be obvious, but I want you to hang with me. Maybe you'll hear something that's gonna just, Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you. And today's the day to take it seriously, to address it, okay? Point one, the fountain gate is the source of living water. Now, we've heard this before in the New Testament um, where Jesus referred to the living water. I wanna take you to John 37 through 39. It says this, it says, then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus had snuck in to this feast. Um, and it says he stood up and he shouted to the crowds, like, hello, introduction. All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. And Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that believers were being prepared to receive. But the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them because Jesus had not yet been unveiled, unveiled in his full splendor. So let's dive a little deeper. Fountain, most of you know, a fountain is significant because it indicates water that is not still or stagnant. Instead, it's live water, right? It's moving, it's bubbling, it's traveling, it's alive. And you know, it's funny because um, I think sometimes it's really easy to get to the place where we consider God as, as like we don't mean to, but sometimes he, he maybe feels distant from us. And so, because we, we've believed that he is, and so it seems like maybe he's not always flowing. Like maybe Holy Spirit isn't quite as living as, as maybe I'd like him to be. But you know, um, he is alive and he is moving. And there are two things, by the way, that landed Jerusalem in the mess they were in when Nehemiah showed up to repair the wall and the gates. Jeremiah prophesied about their condition and what was going to happen. He said, you were, you're gonna lose everything. Um, and he says, Holy, he says God, God was speaking to him and he said, I, I'm, I'm going to bring Babylon and they are going to be destroyed. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 2.13. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, that's one, and they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the first thing is that they've rejected the fountain of living water. Um, you know, that's really interesting because at, at this point in time, they didn't have Holy Spirit like we do because Jesus died and rose and he sent Holy Spirit to you and I. We actually contain this fountain within us as believers, right? And it, it just continues to flow. It continues to flow, flow, and it's a source of life in us. But they did have access to the prophets, and there came a point in their time, in, in time, where they stopped listening to the voice of God through the prophets, because that's the way it worked in, in the old covenant. But now here you and I are, we have Holy Spirit within us as soon as we say yes to him. And I just wonder, are we listening? 
because it's a big deal to reject the fountain of living waters. And, I, and we're gonna get more into that. But, but I just, that's number one. They rejected the fountain of living waters. And number two, they built their own cisterns. Now, this can be a little bit, let's, let's just talk about this a little bit. Cisterns are like a well they're built into the ground, but they don't have an independent source of water feeding them, right? So water has to be brought from one source and stored in the cistern for later use, okay? Can you see that water in a cistern is different than water from a fountain, okay? It's not alive. Now, I wanna propose to you today that as spiritual beings, you and I have this innate hunger within us for some sort of source of water, living water. And what happens if we're not connected to Holy Spirit, who is that continual rushing, flowing, life-giving water, we have a tendency to build our own cisterns, our own, our own keep of something that will fill that hole because we are spiritual beings. And so then what happens is we create this thing that's secondary. It's not going to work anything like the fountain. It becomes stale, and, and uh, that causes problems. Now, what, what are some practical examples of creating our own cisterns? Let me name a few. Entertainment, like movies, like TikTok, like, I don't know, how about gaming? How about uh, social media? How about substance abuse? That can be anything from food to crack cocaine. How about religion? How about your, you know, we, we be, we're, we're not so sure about the Holy Spirit flow thing, like we can't quite catch that, but we're gonna create a construct that's no longer alive, it's just rules. And we're gonna call that God. That's what religion is. That's a cistern and it's broken. And what about this, what about the occult? You know, um, spiritualism is a big deal in our culture, especially with the younger generations. People are turning from Jesus and they're stepping into witchcraft. It's a big deal. It's a broken cistern, okay? Are you, are you tracking with me? All right. The other thing we need to know and we need to realize about cisterns is they can become traps. Actually, the Bible talks about a couple of famous cases. One is that Joseph was thrown into a cistern. Remember, he's the dude that God was calling and his brothers sold him into slavery. First, they threw him into a cistern. I don't think they were very connected to God. And so their cistern became a trap for what God wanted to do in their family and in their nation. The other one that is not as well known, but it's Jeremiah the prophet who prophesied about J uh, Jerusalem being attacked and, and all of these things. And, and uh, the king uh, who was in charge of Jerusalem at the time didn't wanna hear it, so he dumped him into a cistern and he imprisoned him. It actually was one of the kings of Babylon that let him go. Cisterns can become Trapped, so are you trapped in a cistern? Let me, just, let me just go back to my examples, right? Entertainment steals resolution to real life conflicts. That's just one example. If you're constantly escaping, you're not dealing. Addiction, it robs you of your health, it robs us of our relationships, it robs us of our finances. 
is a trap. Social media. Well, social media steals peace of mind. It also steals meaningful relationships. You, you receive something that is virtual and you exchange that for the reality. So you're no longer connecting to people in real time. Listen, this is never gonna be the same as real time relationship. It simply will not be. We gotta be connecting with people. How about religion? Well, religion, I've often said, uh, law and love don't often occupy the same space. So if you're stuck on the law, on the rules, chances are you're missing the boat when it comes to loving your neighbor. That's just the way it goes. It's a trap, see? And this other one, occultism, um, and you may be thinking, why would she be talking about this? I, especially in light of the Grammys and the event that took place there, with, which was overt uh, satanic worship, I, I feel it's a relevant point. Um, occultism always requires a pot price that must be paid. Nothing's free in that kind of spiritualism. If your cistern is witchcraft or the occult in any way, shape, or form, it will demand a price from you. Oftentimes, the price looks like torment. You do not want that. I want you to, I, I found this, um, this testimony of this man. Now, he might be a little tricky to understand. He is uh, obviously from the UK, and he has this experience, this radical conversion experience. He was the leader of a satanic cult. And I just want you to listen to this. This is where people are. They are hungry for the love of God. Okay, go ahead and play that video. I did this interview. And in this interview, I said, I don't believe that Jesus Christ exists. And after the interview, this lady came to me. And she hugged me. And she held me in a way that I've never been loved. I saw... This woman is a Christian. I've never had, I've never experienced a Christian showing that much love and acceptance unconditionally. After that interview, I had a meeting with council members at the, at the church and they said, okay, great, now we've done all these interviews and people know and it's growing, Satanism is growing and believe me people, it is. And I had to do a ritual by myself to see how do I get more more power, more He does influence. a satanic and ritual. I did this ritual and I opened myself up and Jesus appeared and I was extremely cocky and I said, if you are Jesus, you need to prove it. And he flooded me with the most beautiful love and energy and I recognized it immediately because that woman at the radio station showed it to me. That's how I recognized the love of Christ immediately because four people showed it to me and I didn't understand it at the time. I couldn't understand because, like I said, I didn't believe. Even when I was in Christian ministry almost 20 years ago, I never knew it until a month or two ago. The love of Christ is unconditional. When you experience it, it is something different. I have for a long time believed that I am not worthy of God's grace. Let me tell you something today. The kingdom of God is not a gated community. Right. The kingdom of God is open to everybody. It's my praying that you will you will feel the love. I I, I pray that the peace of of Christ will be with you. Listen, people are hungry for Jesus like they have never been. And. 
What's fascinating to me and what's so powerful about this man's account is that when God showed up, when Jesus showed up for him in a satanic ritual where he was trying to get the power he had experienced when some woman, some Christian woman, had just embraced him in the love of God, Jesus shows up and he recognizes it as Jesus. Why? Because it was the same love he'd experienced from that believing woman. Listen, you and I, We are the arms of Jesus to people who are lost and hungry. The first thing is if you're dabbling in this kind of thing, it's time to stop. Second of all, those people who are dabbling in this kind of thing, in this kind of spiritualism, they're trying to fill a cistern that can never be filled by anyone but Holy Spirit. And I wanna charge us all, myself included today, listen, we have got to be the pure expression of a living, flowing fountain of love that comes only from Holy Spirit to people around us. It's who we are. Check your gate. Number two, the thing I've learned about the fountain gate, it is a primary enemy target. In that verse in Nehemiah 3, 15 through 25, where it talks about, it describes the fountain gate, it says there that Shalom, this man who was in charge of repairing it, it says he built it and he covered it. He hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. This is the only gate that was so damaged it had to have the roof rebuilt over top of it. It's the only one listed. And um, archaeologists believe that's because Um, In fact, let me just say this first. Back in Nehemiah 2, when, remember, Nehemiah goes out in the middle of the night and does a perimeter check by himself? He can't get past this gate because it's so badly broken down, he can't get around it. And so he turned back at that point. And so here's, here's the deal. Archaeologists believe that uh, the reason why it was so badly torn down was because it was the number one target of the enemy. Because if you lay siege to a city that has access to water, they're not gonna die on you. So they wanted to stop the flow of that fountain so that the people wouldn't live. And I I wanna propose to you that this fountain gate that you have, that I have, this connection to Holy Spirit, the living water, is a prime target for the enemy. And I also want, I mean, there are several ways in which uh, the enemy can attack it, but I want to propose to you today that the number one area is, it looks like unbelief. That's what the attack looks like, unbelief. Now listen to this scripture in Hebrews 3. 12 and 13, they say this, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this, the enemy attacks this gate by telling you and telling me that, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's not real. Now, I'm not talking about going to the extreme of being an atheist or an agnostic. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the little things. 
like not including Holy Spirit in your everyday. Like if Holy Spirit is a Sunday morning experience for you, listen, there's some unbelief going on there because he is a day-to-day, minute-by-minute connection source. And we need him. We need him. Okay, so one of the ways in which I think that the, that the enemy gets in in this area of unbelief, I, here, here's what I've experienced anyway. It starts with an unmet expectation. We have this, this burden, this, this prayer that we're bringing to God, you know, this thing that's laying heavily on our heart and we're saying, you know, God, I, 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 I have this thing and I, I need for you to move on my behalf. But, but and that's, I, I, I believe we're supposed to expect that God's gonna show up, but where we go wrong sometimes is that we paint a picture of exactly what it will look like when he shows up. So that then when things don't pan out the way we had imagined it, then we say, God let me down. And pretty soon, you're at the spot where you say, is God really real? That's how it starts. Listen, I, I have, if, there's, if there's anything that I've learned, it's, it's that God never seems to do the same thing twice. Like, not in the same way. So we, we have to be very careful about building constructs that actually edge him out of the scenario completely. And then we turn the accusing finger at him and say, God, how could you do this to me? Are you with me? Listen, this is very dangerous. And it's super important that we confront this. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, listen, I'm gonna keep going to God. I'm gonna keep bringing things before him, not because he's a deaf God or not because he's an unfeeling God, but because there's something relational that happens. When I keep going to him and I keep saying, God, I, 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 I just know your heart toward me is good and I need for you to move on behalf of so-and-so. I need for you to move on behalf of my health. I need you to move on behalf of their finances. I need you to, and you know what? I'm gonna keep praying that, and praying that, and praying that until the burden lifts. And sometimes we don't see the answer the way that we want it to be, but then, but we notice as we're connection, as we're in connection with Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden I don't have the same burden when I'm praying about a certain issue. It's almost as though God has received it and He said, Okay, my turn. And then we get to let it go and let Him do what only He can do. We've got to understand that the devil does not want us connected to Holy Spirit at all. Because he's the way, he's the truth and the life. Yes, we're talking about Jesus in that verse, but listen, through Jesus we have this access that is absolutely incredible. And we need to be aware that we're vulnerable. I often say, you've got to war in the opposite spirit. When you feel as though you don't believe. This is when you say, God, I believe in you. I trust you. I don't understand it. Like, be honest. I don't get it, but I'm still turning back to you. I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to wait on you. 
and I'm gonna let go of all of my preconceived notions. I'm gonna let you move as only you can move. And that's how you keep walking it out. Oh, I'm so tempted to go to Psalm 116. All right. I, God spoke to my heart about this this morning, and it so fits in here. Um, David wrote this psalm, and he goes through this. this it's entitled in the Passion Translation anyway, I'm Saved. And it says, uh, it says in verses 10 and 11, it says, even when it seems I'm surrounded by many liars and my own fears, and though I'm hurting in my suffering and trauma, I will stay faithful to God and speak words of faith. There's nothing in there that says I feel words of faith. No, you speak it. You walk it out. I don't understand this aspect of God. I just know it's the truth that if we will keep moving forward, he will meet us. And there's some of us, my mom used to say that, what, what do you do with the bully on the bus? The one that's antagonizing you, who's calling you names and making fun of you? She used to always say, you ignore him. Listen, this, this spirit of unbelief is a bully on your bus and you need to ignore him. He's a liar. And if he can derail you and shut you down, you will continue to spiral out and it's not a good place. How is your fountain gate doing? Number three, the fountain gate is our access to heaven on earth. Oh, I love this one. If you know the Lord's Prayer, you can find it in uh, Matthew 6:10. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on as it is in. Did you know that that's been God's plan all along is that you and I pull heaven down onto earth? That's our call. And we can only do that if we're connected to Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me because I, as I said earlier, I believe everything that's in the Bible, it's, it's so multifaceted. And when you start getting into the names, I could have done a word study to end all word studies on all of the names. And I know Pastor Russ has talked about a few of the names. And, and um, if we go back to Nehemiah 3, 15 through 25, there is this, what, what it does is it, it's, it's taking us from the fountain gate and it's saying all of these places are connected to the fountain gate. And it starts naming them off. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, I'm gonna do them one at a time. You can find them in that scripture. But I believe there's something more that's in connection to this and it has to do with, with pulling heaven on earth. Listen, we're supposed to be living as conquerors, overcomers. We're not here to survive. We're here to overcome. Because we actually, it says in the Bible that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. While you are seated right here, you're also seated right there, wherever heaven is but you're with him. So when, when does that reality become this reality? Well, there are some promises, I believe that prophetically, and I am taking a little bit of license here, so don't stone me, um, but I believe there's some prophetic um, 
power here. Starting with, and like I said, all of these places, they were accessed through the fountain gates. So number one is the Pool of Shelah, or the Pool of Siloam. This is where we experience healing. Um, this is the place that when, when Jesus healed the blind man in John 9, he sent him to wash the saliva mud, you, off of his eyes in this pool. There is healing through the fountain gate. Number two, the king's garden. This is a source of strength. The garden is a source of, it's like, um, it's like an oasis in the middle of the heart, in the middle of the dry, right? It's a source of strength. Isaiah 58, 11 says, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. How do you get that way? Through the fountain, through Holy Spirit. All right, number three. The steps to Zion. Some, some um, translations say uh, the steps of David or the steps to the city of David. Um, these are referring to uh, growth, I believe, in Holy Spirit. This is this, listen, I often say, if you are the same way today, you're battling the same things you were, your life is in the same condition it was five years ago, today, something's wrong. Because in the kingdom, we're supposed to be ascending. We're not, I'm not trying to be all new agey and weird. Um, what I'm saying is that we go from glory to glory in God. That's growth. That's maturity. These are the, the steps, right? And we get that, again, through the fountain gate. Number four, the tombs of David. Um, in Acts 2... 25, uh, this is so cool. I don't know why I didn't have it written down here. Acts 2.25 says this. It says, um, it, they're talking about Jesus. Um, Peter is talking to the people in Acts about Jesus after the Pentecost and all of this, or on the day of Pentecost, and it says, this is the very thing that David prophesied about him, about Jesus. David said, I continually see the Lord in front of me. He's at my right hand, and I'm never shaken. No wonder my heart is glad and my glory celebrates. My mouth is filled with his praises, and I have hope that my body will live, because you will not leave my soul, God, among the dead, nor will you allow your sacred one to experience decay. That's in reference to Jesus, who's the only human being who never decayed, by the way. For you have revealed to me the pathways to life, and seeing your face fills me with euphoria. Then Peter says this, my fellow Jews, I can tell you there's no doubt that our noted patriarch has both died and been buried in his tomb, which remains to this day. His point is, Jesus isn't in his tomb. Through Jesus, we have eternal life. This is access through the fountain gate. Number five is the man-made pool. This is um, sometimes referred to as Solomon's pool. 
um, they, th this is historically speaking. Now, this particular pool was built for the refreshment of camels um, that travelers would come in with. And to me, this is, this is really cool because um, through the fountain gate, we have the, we become a source of refreshment. Our lives become sources of refreshment for those around us. It's what we do with our devotion to God. It's how we live it out. And it has this potential of drawing people who are weary, who don't know where they're going. But all of a sudden they stop into your life, so to speak, and they taste of something that they've never experienced before. This is accessed through the gate of the fountain. Number six is the house of heroes. This is, or, or the house of the mighty. Now this is where in, in, in uh, Second Samuel when it talks about David's mighty men, all of his warriors, like these guys were super, super bad. Like good, but bad. Um, super cool. And um, this would have been the place in the city where they were housed, okay? Um, and to me, this is speaking of through Holy Spirit, we are given a promise of victory. We are more than conquerors. We only have that through Holy Spirit, and we are champions in Christ because of him. So house of heroes. And the last one, number seven, is the armory. And <clears throat> the armory, of course, is where you would keep the armor the weapons of warfare. And what this speaks of is no matter what it is that you and I are confronting right now, God has provision for us to overcome. He's not leaving us vulnerable. You can go to Ephesians 6, that's where it talks about all of the armor of God, right? The helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit, like we are fully covered, but we have access to that only through the fountain gate, only through Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> here's, here's, here's the point of this whole thing. Jesus intended for us to have access to the living water of the Holy Spirit. It's what he told the disciples to wait for before he ascended to heaven. He said, wait for this gift. It's a gift. It's not a burden. It's a gift. And the day of Pentecost was the release of that gift functioning. Yes, we get Holy Spirit when we get saved. That's amazing. And we have even greater access as we, as, we stepped into, as we step into baptism of the Holy Spirit. But regardless, we get Holy Spirit, which is a never-ending source of life for us. It's interesting, Acts 2.17 says, and this was a quote from Peter as well. He says, and it shall be, because you picture it, they had just experienced baptism of the Holy Spirit and people were speaking in languages that would never have been able to do so. And the whole city was full of visitors coming for Pentecost and it captured their attention. 
and they were wanting to know what was going on. And Peter takes the platform and he begins teaching about what has happened. And he says in verse 17, and it shall be in the last days, God says, this is a quote from Joel, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see dreams and your old men shall dream dreams. Listen, I just wonder, when was the last time that you experienced a real long, satisfying drink of Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life? How is this functioning for you and for me? If it was something that God, like Jesus, Jesus is like, oh my gosh, I go to my father so that you can have access to this. I want you to have this. It's absolutely detrimental. I was thinking about how, I was thinking about how in Acts chapter two when it talks about the first century church, I was thinking about how amazing that must have been. I, I was having a conversation with someone about it recently and I said, can you imagine in that particular region, you were likely Jewish, and the only people who had access to God were the priests. Now, all of a sudden, the gates have been flung wide open, and you're invited to come before him face to face and speak with him and hear him. Can you imagine what that must have been like for them? We've become so conditioned to our Christianity that we don't recognize the miracle of connection to Holy Spirit. Listen, this is an amazing, miraculous thing. There's no other God that operates like this. And he's for you, and he's for you, and he's for you, and he's for you. He's for every one of us sitting right here today. It's just like the man said, this isn't a gated community. We all have access to this. So run through your gate check real quick. Can you say, yes, I'm connected to this fountain gate, this living Holy Spirit? I'm, I'm actually, I, I know that I am because I'm not walking around thirsty all the time. You know, it occurred to me this morning that sometimes, because Russ said something in the pre-service prayer and I was thinking about it, I'm like, you know, um, he said, sometimes we become so thirsty that we don't, and we've been that way for so long, we no longer remember or realize that we're thirsty. I think that sometimes it changes to hunger and sometimes then it goes into hanger. And we can't figure out why we're so ticked off. It's because you're thirsty. You are thirsty. And you cannot live a Christian life without access to the flowing of the Holy Spirit. You have to have it every single day. So where is he when you get in your car to go to work? Where is he when you are cleaning your toilets and doing your laundry? Where is he when you're sitting in a class surrounded by students who don't believe anything you believe? Where is he when you are the teacher and you're feeling like you're not hitting anything? Where is he? Where is he? 
because I want you to know he is right there. It's just a matter of you opening the gate to him and letting him in. Can we do that? It's a choice. I just know that God has to be a whole lot better than the God that's in the book. What do I mean by that? Sometimes I like to say, we gotta get God out of the book. We gotta get him into our lives. He's gotta be more than a quick read because we all know the truth and that is that we spend more time on our phones than we do in the Bible. So we have got to put him into our lives. We've got to find a way of getting him there. And I think that it's really simple. We invite him. So let's go ahead and stand. We're going to have the worship team come back up, if they will, please. God, you know what I love about this gate? I, I love that it's never changed. I love that it's always been offering satiation from way back 5,000 years ago in the Bronze Age and into today, it's still there. And you, Holy Spirit, are far more consistent and stable than that. God, there are some of us who have come today just really at the end of our tethers, feeling like, I just, I just don't even know. I don't even know why I'm here. I, 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 I don't get it. I just don't get where you are in my life. But one of the principles of the kingdom and, and, and of your nature is that when we seek you, we find you. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, I just wanna mark this moment right now as the point in which my search results in the find of who you are. So if, if that's you today, would you just, man, you can express however you want. You can do the, universal sign of surrender. I don't care what you do, but how about we take care of this now? Let's get this gate rebuilt. Let's, let's get it set up, covered and opened. And so you can, just, you can just repeat after me, Holy Spirit, somewhere along the way, I have lost my connection to you and I've shut this gate. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm disappointed 
because of my own choice. Please forgive me. And today, I wanna start again. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, to repair this gate in my life and to begin to speak to me, to flow as only you can as the living water. Now, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that as you walk in our midst, you're always here, right? He is God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is right here, right now. Maybe some of you need to close your eyes and you need to see him right where you stand. Where is he right now? I believe he's right where you are. And he's reaching his hand toward you. He's laying it on your shoulder and he's looking at you with eyes of such love saying, listen, I'm here for you. You don't have to do this alone. I am enough. And I'm so glad you've opened back up to me. If you will simply give me a chance, I will show you that I am who I say I am. Now, for some of you, maybe you've been dabbling into some spiritualism I just wanna hit this because I don't want anybody to leave still entangled when we've touched on it. And so if there is anyone here today who has some funky mojo going on, I'm speaking to you, I'm praying to you, uh, praying not to you, I'm praying for you, but I'm also going to speak to that funk and I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say right now in the name of Jesus, and if this is you, these are the things that you need to do. You need to say, Jesus, I repent. I've turned my heart away from you and I've picked up a false spirit. And I reject that thing right now in Jesus' name. I renounce it in the name of Jesus and I command it in the name of Jesus to go. You must go in Jesus' name. And Father, in its place, I, I ask, I ask that, the, that the night watch would be peaceful. No more bad dreams, no more night terrors, no more sweats, no more tremblings in the middle of the night. See, that's the price you're having to pay. No more. We say no more in Jesus' name. And I ask God that the peace of God would, would embrace them so fully from this moment forward that they would know that they know that they know that you are everything they need. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for it. We thank you for freedom. We thank you. You are so good. God, I, I ask that any and everybody who wants to leave this place different than when they came in does the work of addressing this right now. You don't want us to be in torment. You don't want us to be in lack. You're better than that. You're better than that. And so I release that freedom today, that freedom in Jesus' name.
If there is anyone who would say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know this peace that you're talking about. I know nothing about it. Would you come see me? Because we're just gonna do a quick, simple thing. We're just gonna, we're just gonna lead you in to faith in Jesus, the one true God. Now, Father, we worship you because you're worthy. And we give you our hearts. We give you everything right now in Jesus' name.